Hey everybody, this is AJ, the Media and Creative Director for Lifehouse Church. We are so glad you are checking out our most recent message, and we hope it encourages you, challenges you, and most of all, inspires you to go show the world they are loved and highly valued. Enjoy the message. If you got your Bible, I want to invite you to go to Luke chapter 11. And if you don't have your Bible, I encourage you to bring it next week when you come back. And if you're not coming back next week, I encourage you to change, that, change your mind and decide to come back. <laughs> Luke chapter 11. I'm going to start with verse number 5. Luke 11, verse 5. He said to them, this is Jesus talking. Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. So there's, there's three friends in this story. And apparently they don't all know each other. The one friend has another friend come from out of town. He gets there late and he's traveled all day and all night and he's hungry. And so the friend to whom house he's went, I don't know if my grammar is right, but that's okay. Whom, who, I don't know. He goes to his other friend at midnight and he says, hey, I don't have any bread. I don't have any food. Can you get me some bread so I can give it to my other friend who's at my house? So that's, that's what's going on here. It's not, it kind of sounds confusing because there's a lot of friends, but that, that's, that's the gist of what's happening. Verse 7 says, And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. In other words, his phone is on do not disturb. Which is the great, you should do that now with your phone as a matter of fact, if you haven't already. He said, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And then verse eight says, I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, which is a word I did have to look up, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I have read this parable before. I have never preached on it. I've never heard it preached on. And, um, but I believe that there's a word for us today underneath the surface, surface of what Jesus is saying here. Will you pray with me? Would you pray for me as well? Father, I thank you so much again that we get to be here today. That we get to enjoy your presence, to glean from your word, to see four amazing individuals publicly proclaim their faith in Jesus. God, it is such a good day. But Lord, even if it wasn't a good day externally, it's a good day because you're here. You're alive, you're well, the gospel is true, and you are moving in us and through us. And so we thank you that it's a good day. And we thank you that you're a good God. And over the next few minutes, Lord, help me to keep the corny jokes to a minimum. 
Help me to speak your word with faithfulness and truth, to be obedient as the Spirit leads. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? So yesterday, we, um, we went to Oaks Farm, which is in Coryton, Tennessee. It's a corn maze type place. Anybody ever heard of it? Yes, it is. It is. I love it. I love it. Got me. Yeah. Old Sarah back there knows what I'm talking about. Um, let me just encourage you, you parents or one day to be parents. Make, make traditions with your kids. Have things that you do. For us, one of the things we do every year is we go, in, in fall, we go to a, a, a corn maze type place. Although, to be honest, uh, we were in the corn maze all of 15 minutes and decided to, to find a way out. <laughs> we just had to get out of there. Um, we were uh, sitting down under a canopy they have there, and uh, I ate my first caramel apple in a good 25 years. And... Um, my lactose intolerance didn't love it, but I did. Uh, the girls were eating, what were they eating? Like marsh, yeah, I don't know, just pure sugar. It's what you do. You give your kids pure sugar and you tell them to run it off. While we were sitting there, there was a group of young adults not too far from us. Close enough, my, now listen, here's the thing you need to know. I don't really, this is going to sound bad, but I do mean it. I don't really care about other people. Um... <laughs> And what I mean by that, yeah, amen. <laughs> what I mean by that is when I am in a, in a public area, I'm not paying attention to other people. Um, I, I can barely pay attention to what I got going on, okay? I am, I am what you call a unitasker, okay? Um, I am a one-track mind. This is what I'm thinking about right now. This is what we've got to do. This is how it is. My wife... Um, she is whatever the opposite of a unitasker is, and it's not multitasker because it's more than that. That's her. She will be, you know, surfing Facebook, listening to TikTok, watching a Netflix show, FaceTiming a friend, and balancing our checkbook all at the same time. That's how she rolls. I can't do that. So we're sitting there, and, and we're in this crowd of people, and, and Kristen goes, did you hear that? you hear what they said? And I'm like, there's a billion people here. <laughs> hear what who said? And so a, a couple of picnic tables away, there are these young adults there. I'm guessing early 20s. I want to be careful when I guess people's ages because when people guess mine, they're all usually wrong by about two decades. So <laughs> whatever. I'm 36, I know I look like I'm 12, but whatever. I can't help it, it's the way God made me. Keep your opinions to yourself. And she says, did you hear what they said? And I said, I, I, no, I didn't hear what you said. So what, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, I'm trying to eat a caramel apple, okay? It's amazing and very difficult at the same time. And um, she says, they're talking about people and how they're, they're, they're not paying attention to their kids, I don't know, it was four or five people in their early 20s, probably. And so I started listening. And like, they were demeaning all these families all around us. And they would say things like, 
a kid would run off and they would go, that's why kids keep getting abducted. These parents don't pay any attention to them. I can't believe they're letting that child eat that right there. And, um, and they said some other stuff too that I don't feel comfortable repeating, to be honest with you. And the thought occurred to me, I, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say none of them had kids, okay? None of them. And they were practically still children themselves. At 36, I have come to believe wholeheartedly, now forgive me if this offends you, but I don't care, um, that the legal age for an adult should not be at least until 24, maybe. I don't know. 30? 30? We're going to go 30? Um, so uh, some of y'all are like, just wait till 40 seems young and you'll agree with me. I knew I was getting older when all of a sudden 40 was like, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. Just getting started. Some of you are like, 70 is not too bad. Um, can I just tell you, I was a much better parent before I ever had children. I was a much more knowledgeable parent. I had a lot more answers before I had kids. Um, and I, th- I listen, I'm just, I'm being real with you. I think I'm a decent dad. But 10 years ago, I was a much better dad. And then we had kids and I realized, oh, this is hard. Last night at 3 a.m. when Magnolia was screaming bloody murder from her bed because she just wanted to pray with mommy. Oh, it sounds so sweet, but it's not. <laughs> it's not sweet at all. I just wanted to shut up and be quiet. Go to sleep. We don't need to pray. We've prayed enough. Praying is overrated. Go to sleep. <laughs> Teach your kids to pray, they said. I'm not bitter. I'm just tired. I remember like we'd be in a store or a restaurant somewhere and somebody's child would just be throwing an absolute fit. Screaming, hitting stuff, asking for toys. And I'd look at Chris and be like, they ain't going to be our kids. They ain't going to be our kids. We're going to raise them better than that. We're going we're to discipline our children. And uh, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> but, but what's funny, it, 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 here's, here's what's kind of happening in this story. Is that there is a friend who goes to another friend. And he's beating on his door in the middle of the night. And he's saying, hey, I need some food. I need some bread. And Jesus is saying in this parable... He's saying the friend is eventually going to give in to the other friend. You know, in Target, you're eventually going to give in to your six-year-old. Not because you want to give them the toy, but because you want them. And I'm going to say this word, and it, it may seem offensive. It's kind of a cuss word in my house, but as of now, my kids aren't in here. You, you, you just want them to shut up. So you give them what they want. So... That's, that's, that's why we have half the Legos we have today. I just want them to be quiet. Now, I really regret it because the other day I walked into their bedroom and stepped on one and lost a lot of sanctification in the moment. But Jesus is saying the friend is eventually going to give them the bread, not because they're good friends, 
Because if anything, that friendship might get ruined. But because he just wants him to stop beating on his door. And, and, and to really understand the context of this parable. It's one of those parables, I think it's kind of like a diamond hidden in the rough. It's not a parable that gets a lot of uh, you know, action. You don't hear a lot of sermons about it. At least I never have. And, and if you have, forget those. And hopefully this one will be better than anything you can't remember. But, but to really understand the, 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 the context of the parable, you've got to go back to verse 1. And, and verse 1 will seem a lot more recognizable to most of you who have been in church for a while. And this is what verse 1 says. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this down verse by verse, if that's okay with you. And, and what it means when, G, when it says Jesus was praying in a certain place is, is to say that Jesus had a regular rhythm of spending time with his father, right? This was not something, you know, there was a certain place that he went. He didn't just randomly pray, although I'm sure he did. But he also had a set rhythm, routine, that he would go and he would spend time with his father. So now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, the reason why this is going to start sounding familiar is because we are going to get Luke's version of what we call the Lord's Prayer. However, I just want to warn you, this isn't the version of the Lord's Prayer that most of us pray. This is a little different. The one we pray is usually from Matthew chapter 6. But this being Luke 11 is a little different. Now, for some people, this creates a problem. Because we have this false assumption that the Bible, because it is the breathed, inspired word of God, that it should completely and totally be the same everywhere and everything. However, I would like to let you understand that if it were an exact replica book to book to book, it would actually uh, be greater evidence of its falsehood than its truth. Because it, when, we, when we copy stuff, we, we copy stuff. Right? But the differences we find through the Gospels actually reaffirm the validity of the Gospels. And the Lord's Prayer, as we're about to read, and it's something that Jesus probably actually talked about multiple times. He didn't just talk about it one time. The parable that we just read, he probably told it multiple times, not just one time. And the Gospels themselves are not necessarily even in chronological order from the beginning to the end. For the most part, they seem to be, but they're not. Uh, you know, as Luke was writing, he was hearing stories and he was copying things down. He wasn't worried about did this miracle take place before this miracle. He was just worried about giving us an account of the miracles that did take place. You guys with me so far? And so they asked Jesus that you would teach us to pray. Now, what we mean when we say that, when they said that, is they want Jesus to tell them what to pray. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't want to tell us what to say because if he would have wanted to tell us what to say, he would have created robots in Genesis 1, not human beings in Genesis 1. So instead of telling us what to say, Jesus begins to teach them how to pray. So verse 2 says, He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You've got to also understand right here, that this is extraordinarily unique to the Jewish people and the Jewish culture. To go to God as Father is something that has not been done before. And he says, 
to pray your kingdom come, Matthew would add, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is teaching us with that line right there that our prayer should first and foremost focus on worshiping our Father. Holy is your name or hallowed be your name. And then transitioning to praying, God, you know more than me, you see more than me, you understand more than me. So before I tell you anything I want, I want what you want. Number three, or or verse number three, Jesus says, give us each day. Some translations would say, give us this day our daily bread. Now, bread here is much more than bread. Although, I love me some Texas Roadhouse rolls, y'all. What's up? I felt the Lord. (laughs) But Jesus is referring, I prayed against corny jokes. It didn't work. (laughs) Jesus is, is instructing us that every day we should go to God for our needs. And now, here's what I wish Jesus would have said. Give us this week (laughs) our weekly bread so I can go to Jesus on Monday and I'm good all the way through Sunday, right? Or give us this month or give us this year or give us this season of life. That's not what Jesus did. He wants us every day to go to God every day, every day. I'm going to say that again, every day. And if you're not beginning your day with prayer, I just want to, I just want to encourage you to start doing that because you are setting yourself up for defeat and disappointment. But when you begin your day in prayer, you are setting yourself up for overwhelming victory. And I'm not saying that your day is going to go great, but I'm saying that you will have the tools that you need to, to take on anything that comes your way throughout the day. And, and so Jesus says, every day, go to God. Go to him as father. Go to him because he is your father. Don't go to him the way a, a slave would go to a master, but go to him the way a son or a daughter would go to a loving, good dad. Go to him and worship him, not because of what he's done, but worship him because of who he is. And then before you start asking for the things that you want, ask him to do the things that he wants to do because his ways are above your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So before you tell him what you think needs to happen, ask him to tell you what he knows needs to happen. And then, and then go to him with absolute dependence for everything you need. Lord, thank you for my job, but the only reason I got this job is because you've given me life, you gave me the job, you gave me breath, you gave me energy, you gave me an opportunity. So Lord, as I work today, let it all be for your glory and for my good. Amen. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, It's getting real, y'all. Did you know that the only sin Jesus refers to here as unforgivable? Now, I know that some would bring in another thing, but I'm not going that direction today, so we can talk about that later. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. We're good. You don't have to worry about it. But the only thing you can do and not receive forgiveness for is refusing to forgive. I'm here today to tell you Now, this is hard. I'm not saying this is easy. And I don't say this lightly. I say this lovingly. If in this moment there is bitterness, offense, or unforgiveness in your heart against any other human being, your relationship with God is not what it could be. Because that creates separation between you and being who God called you to be. 
We don't forgive because we think the other person is okay. We forgive because Jesus forgave me for the unforgivable. And you can't receive from God that which you are unwilling to give. And there's only two things that I'm aware of that I can get from God, but then I can also give to others. One of them is love and the other one is forgiveness. I can't, I can't do anything else that he can do, but I can love and I can forgive. And if I refuse to do those things, he actually says in his word that he will refuse to do it for me. And holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt the person you're mad at. So today, if, I'm, just, I'm just stopping right now. This isn't where we're going today, but you need to hear this. If there is any of that in your heart, confess it to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you for holding on to it and offer forgiveness to that person. Does it mean you have to trust them? It doesn't mean you're best friends. It doesn't even mean that you have to talk to them, but it means that your anger no longer controls you. You guys okay? Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I was worried. I didn't see you earlier. And I was like, gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do today. Verse number five, he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So two things you need to understand for this parable to make a little bit of contextual sense. Number one, hospitality is everything in this culture. Listen, I love you, but if you show up at my house at midnight and you're beating on my door to borrow three lo- or to have three loaves of bread, <laughs> I, I will sit Kristen on you. <laughs> and she's sweet and everything, but if you make her mad, she will, she will look at you dirty. <laughs> and it will hurt your feelings. <laughs> Hospitality is everything. So the first friend has a friend show up from out of town. For him to not be able to take him into his home and feed him and give him, you know, a place to sleep, a place to stay is, is a very insulting thing. So that's the one area of hospitality. Then you have the second area of hospitality when that friend goes to the other friend and says, hey, can I have three loaves of bread? Now, which leads us into the second thing you need to know about this parable for it to make a little more sense is the, the homes are more than likely just one-room homes that are very small and that they would be very close together to the next, next home. Probably so close together that only one or two people could even walk between them. They're very small. They're not very well insulated. Everybody's in the same room. So he says, when he's telling him, hey, be quiet. The kids are in bed. What, he, what he's really saying is they're, they're, they're right here, like just right on the other side of this wall. They're not in the back of the house in another room. They're right here. Why are you waking up my family? And if you've got a toddler, you know, man, it's a big deal, man. Don't be waking up my toddler. They're going to want to pray again, and I just want them to go back to sleep. So this is a very peculiar situation because the guy who owns the home is, is worried about his kids waking up, but he's also worried about the neighbors who are no doubt already awake as well, wondering what all the commotion is about. And so Jesus says, he's going to give them the bread, not because they're friends, because in all actuality, they probably ain't friends no more. He's going to give them the bread because he wants them to be quiet and leave his house and go away 
Stop waking up my kids. Stop bothering the neighbors. Stop bringing disgrace upon me by not having something that you need in a culture that focuses so much on hospitality. And Jesus says in verse 8, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. He will, though, or yet because of his impudence, which is the only time this word is found in the New Testament. In Greek, it's anadia, lack of sensitivity to what is proper. Uh, I have another word for it. It's actually two words. It's called hissy fit. (laughs) Hissy fit. That's what's happening. Because of his hissy fit, some of you more refined people might use the word tantrum, but I ain't got time for that. It's a hissy fit, y'all. He's going to give in. He's going to give him what he wants because he wants him to go away. And while that is the end of the parable, that is not the end of the application. You see, Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray is directly related to this parable which is then also directly related to this next part. Verse 9, Jesus says, And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. I have been very guilty in my life of treating prayer as a passive activity when in fact it is a very much active activity. You know, I have, I know this is going to be shocking, but I have gone to the gym before. And I have, I mean, you know, chest and biceps, that's really all that matters. Everything else is whatever. Um, who needs quads, Right? And I'll work my muscles. I mean, not now. I don't have time for that. You know, I'll work my mind. I'll read books. I'll listen to podcasts. I'll work my money. I'll, you know, use it to buy things that will benefit me. One day, one day I hope to make an investment. I don't even know what that is. I don't know how to do that. But, but one day maybe I'll understand what that is. And my money will work for me. But how often do we work our faith? How often do we put our faith to the test? To to stretch it, to grow it, to use it, to strengthen it. So that it can work, not just for me, but so that my faith could even work for you. Jesus said, or excuse me, Paul said in Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Just an honest moment with you. I, um, I can't count the number of times that I have been guilty of worrying about everything but praying about nothing. Doing the exact opposite of what Jesus told me to do. As if somehow my worry has the power to change anything for the good. In fact, all it does is rob me of sleep and energy and joy and peace. 
Jesus, or Paul says, don't, don't worry. Worry is useless. Now, several weeks ago, we even talked about what do we do with our worry. And if you missed that message, regardless of what my wife says, I think it was pretty good. You should go back and listen to it. All right, I'm, I'll stop. I'll stop. Maybe. We'll see. Probably not. John 14, 13 Jesus said something else that relates to prayer. He says, whatever you ask in my name. Say, in my name. name. Now, we, we like this verse, but we might not like that part. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So let me ask you a question. What does it mean to ask something in Jesus' name. Well, let me, let me, let's go back to the prayer, the, the prayer model that Jesus taught his disciples, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or hallowed be thy name, if you're KJV like me, when you memorize that. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It means to say, God, I don't know, but you do. God, I don't understand, but you do. God, this doesn't make sense to me, but it makes sense to you. So instead of me telling you what I want, what I really want you to do is to do what you want. And John Wesley said something. I don't know if you know who he is. He, was, he lived several hundred years, a couple hundred years ago, really powerful preacher. He said something that has always stuck with me that I heard you know, several years ago in college. He said, He said, it seems as if God will do nothing on the earth apart from men and women praying. It seems as if God will do nothing on the earth apart from men and women praying. Now, I don't don't really understand that. I don't know why God chooses to work through prayer, but his word bears witness to the fact that, it, that he does. If Jesus himself spent time every single day in prayerful relationship with his heavenly father, how much more should you and I be dependent upon the same means to connect with God and so that God can connect with us? Yet, I know in myself, I find myself so often, oh, I'm too busy to pray. Oh, I'm too tired to pray. Oh, I've got so much else going on. You know, I've prayed before and the thing that I prayed for didn't happen, so I'm not going to pray anymore. Can I just tell you that you're never too busy to pray. You're never too tired to pray. Your, your priorities might be extraordinarily out of whack. But if you call Jesus Lord and Savior, you cannot afford to not spend time in prayer. To further answer the question, what does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? This is what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said. He says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. I'm, everybody look at me right now. I want you to hear this. I want you to pay attention to this. Wishing is dumb. Stop wishing for things. And start humbling yourself before your father. 
and asking him for things. Now, that's not where James stops. He says, you don't have because you don't, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. He says in verse three, and even when you ask, how many of you say, well, I've prayed, I prayed, you know, for this and it didn't happen. Even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. To pray something in the name of Jesus doesn't mean that I end my prayer with, in Jesus' name, amen. That's a magnolia prayer right there. In Jesus' name, amen. That's not what it means to pray in Jesus' name. To pray in the name of Jesus means that you have connected with God that you have drawn near to the heart of God, that you are in right relationship with God, so much so that the Holy Spirit begins to change your desires to reflect His desires. So much so that the Holy Spirit begins to transform you from the inside out to look more and more like the person person and character of Jesus Himself. So that when I do pray, I am more able to pray not the things that I want, but to pray the things that he wants. Because for whatever reason, it seems as if God will do nothing on this earth apart from men and women who pray. You guys okay? Verse 11 says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Apparently fish and eggs were a really popular meal 2,000 years ago. I'm glad that's changed. He says, then if you, he says, then if you who are evil, which is to say it, you're not perfect, you mess up, you might be a good dad, you might be a good mom, but I mean, you're, you're not a perfect mom, you're not a perfect dad. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Don, will you and your team come? Ultimately, Jesus wants us to know and to understand that he is better. Better than what? Come on, say it. Better than what? My goodness, help me out. Better than what? Anything. He's better than your neighbor. He's better than your earthly mom or dad. He's better than your friend. He's better than a stranger. He's better than your pastor. He's better. And we can go to him with our greatest of needs or smallest of desires. Because he's better. I am... I have... 
debated in my heart whether I should even share this because some of you might find it silly. But if that's the case, we just don't have to be friends and that's okay too. Because it, it is silly in the grand scheme of life, but when you've got a nine-year-old, seven-year-old, and two-and-a-half-year-old little girls, small things are big things. A few weeks ago, we got, a, or a few months ago, we got a little puppy, and um, he was kind of a jerk, to be honest with you, but he was cute, and he got out from under our fence and got hit by a car a few weeks ago. And I'm just here to tell you, I had never done anything as hard as a dad as to tell my kids, hey, Mavericks, Maverick got hit by a car today. He's dead. I, that was brutal. Um, I, was, <clears throat> I wasn't that upset about the dog. But uh, you can judge me if you want to. I mean, I was not happy about it. Man, having to tell them about it broke me. True story. I cried every day for a week over it because of how they acted about it. I mean, it broke me to the point where I was like, we got to get another dog like right now. So we got another puppy because we're gluttons for punishment. And um, we have our home one day and find out she's sick with Parvo. And if you've ever had a dog with Parvo, you know it's pretty much a death sentence for the most part. So we take her to the vet and we get the quote from the vet. And I'm like, Look, we didn't buy a designer dog breed. We got a mutt, okay? And I'm thinking this dog, it's going to cost a lot of money for this dog. But the vet is telling us, you know, I think, I think she'll be okay. And I look at my kids' faces and I'm like, just take my wallet, whatever. Who needs to eat this month? Not me. And this may seem silly to you. And if it does, then you don't understand the heart of a father. My earthly father or your heavenly father. I couldn't sleep after we took her to the vet. I was so heartbroken. I was so worried about my kids. I was, I was honestly, I was a little mad. And I know in the grand scheme of life, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But I got up and I started praying. I was like, God, it's the first time I'd actually prayed about it. I said, Lord, I, I know that this is just a dog. But for me, it's so much more than just a dog. It's my three daughters. It's my wife. God, can you please make her better? Can I just be honest with you? I felt silly the whole time, even praying it. And I felt, and I, and I don't say this lightly, and if you know me well, I do not throw around the phrase, God said lightly. I don't do that. Because I think that can get overdone to the point that we cheapen it to mean something that it doesn't mean. 
But I felt so inclined to go to Psalm 18. And I, I, don't, I didn't have any explanation for it. I didn't know what Psalm 18 said. I have read it, but I don't remember it. But I, I even fought it for several minutes thinking, I've got to get up and go get my Bible. I don't want to do that. It's three o'clock in the morning. So I go and I get my Bible and I start reading Psalm 18. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. Now, I just want to be honest with you. It's at this point, I'm thinking, I've picked the wrong chapter. We're talking about a dog, not people trying to kill me that I know of. But I I felt like this this is what God told me to read. Verse five, the cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. And to be honest, I'm getting a little worried. Like, is there something going on in my life that I don't know about yet? Like, do I need to read this for something else? And I got to verse six. David said, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. And the Holy Spirit did something in me in that moment that had absolutely nothing to do with a puppy. He showed me how much of my life that he wants for me that I am missing out on because I don't go to him. You see, I get a headache, I take Tylenol. I don't need God to heal my headache. My puppy gets sick, I take her to the vet. If I'm running low on cash, I put it on a credit card. So much of my life, I have lived not depending on God for my daily bread because I have found cheap substitutes to take his place. And because of those cheap substitutes that I have been depending on instead of on him, my relationship with him, my understanding of his goodness and his power to to bless me, to provide for me, to help me, to change me, to change the course of my life, to work in our church, so much I have missed out on because I have found something to take his place. And I am willing to bet that you probably have done the same thing too. That we have found counterfeits to take the place of going to God for our daily bread. Of going to God and saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. And I told you earlier, I don't say that lightly. I felt the Holy Spirit, and it's the title of my sermon. If you want it, come and get it that he has made all things available to us. 
His goodness, His blessings, His power, His grace, His anointing is available to me. Yet I don't pursue it because I have found something cheap to take its place. Instead of spending time in His Word, I'll take my phone out. Oh, what's happening on TikTok? What's happening on Twitter? Who's arguing now? Who's bad-mouthing who now? What's going on in this, this area? And I have found things to occupy my mind, to occupy the place of my heart that are cheap compared to what he offers me. And the closer, and I've known this, but I am learning it all the more, the closer you grow in your relationship with your father, the more your desires reflect his desires. I mean, like, this is going to sound silly. I mean, it does to me. I'm still struggling with it. That puppy's at the house right now. Right as rain. Pooping everywhere. Doing what dogs do. Jumping on the kids. Knocking Magnolia down. It's hilarious. I love it. She's good. (laughs) I I feel so silly. But I believe wholeheartedly the Lord touched her and healed her. And I know, oh, it's just a dog. Well, it's also my kids. And and who's to say its power is not limited by how big the request is, no more than it's limited by how small and seemingly meaningless the request may be. Can I tell you, if it's important to you, it's important to him. Because you're not a slave, you're a son or you're a daughter. And your father is a good dad. So much better than any earthly dad could ever be. And if a good dad or a good neighbor would give three loaves of bread to somebody beating their door down at midnight, how much more will your father who is perfect give to you any and everything you need if you would just go to him in your time of need to find him faithful? to find him true, to find him full of grace, mercy, and love, blessings beyond anything you could ever think, ask, or imagine. How often have we missed out on the riches that God has for us because we just didn't ask, because we just didn't pray, because we just didn't find it important. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to shut this down now. You guys okay? Then we're going to baptize people. It's going to be incredible. And you're going to cheer like your favorite team just won the Super Bowl every time we baptize somebody. Deal? If you don't have a favorite team, you're, you're an honorary New Orleans Saints fan. Here's our problem. Here's my problem. We are too easily satisfied. It's not that we want too much, it's that we don't want enough. We want to live a fulfilled life, yet we will spend three hours every evening scrolling Netflix. We will numb ourselves with the cheap stuff. But Jesus saves the best wine for last. And I want what he's got. I don't want, I, don't, I want the goodness of God. Last week, AJ preached a great message and he, t- he said, if the devil can't destroy you, 
he will try to distract you. I'll add on to that and ask you, but what if he can't destroy you or distract you? And I think the answer to that is he will try to trap you with comfort, complacency, and convenience. You see, it's not that we want too much, it's that we don't want enough. Our standards are too low, our desires are too meek, our our dreams are too timid. We've come to this belief that through different disappointments in our life that this is just the way it is. But what if it's not? What if if God is just waiting for you to get enough guts to just ask, to just be consistent in that relationship with Him? So much so that not just in you, but around you, heaven begins to invade earth and the miraculous begins to occur and that you see with your own eyes signs and wonders. Can I just, I'm tired of reading stories about God moving. I'm tired of hearing tales that that God did this in some other country. And I have come to the realization that the reason why we don't see it here is because we don't think we need it. We don't think we need it. Oh, I got sick. I can go to the doctor. I I love doctors, okay? I'm I'm, I'm all about that, okay? But I'm just, it's a good illustration to help us understand that we have found a substitute for the living, breathing Word of God active in our lives every day, every moment. The ministry of the Holy Spirit that wants to work in me, not just on a Sunday, but on a Thursday afternoon in a conversation with somebody about how their week hasn't been going that great. Then in the small things, whether we're talking about a puppy dog, whether we're talking about a race at your work, whether we're, whatever, whatever it may be that we're talking about, He is the God who sees you. He is the God who knows you. He is the God that before the foundations of the world were laid, He made you, informed you, and knew you, and called you His very own. If that doesn't define a God who loves a God who wants to give good gifts to those who call him father then I don't know what does he is so much better than we give him credit for he is so much greater than we can understand and the reason we don't have it is because we don't chase it it's because we find cheap substitutes to take his place so I'm going to make an altar call and if you want it come get it because God doesn't want to give you what you want God wants to give you what he wants for you and can I tell you that his desires for you are greater than any desire you could ever have for yourself So as we close this message down, first and foremost, if you are far from the Father, if you have never made a decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you did and you've just walked away from it, right where you're seated, if that's you and you would like to commit your life to Christ, would you raise your hand high in the air? 
I, I know we're not bowing heads, but I'm, I'm, can we just be beyond worrying about what people think for a little bit? I'm far from the Father today. I'm far from His heart. I've either never committed my life to Him or I'm just cold in my relationship with Him. If that's you, would you lift your hand up right where you are? Anybody? So everybody's good. We, are, we, are we on the same page? Everybody's good. Okay, that's fine. Now, let me ask you another question. Do you want it? I mean, like, really, though. Not, not like pep rally Sunday, patty cake, let's go home and forget everything about it. But I'm talking like, do you want it enough to set your alarm clock an hour earlier tomorrow to spend time in his presence? That's what faith looks like. Faith doesn't look like big prayers at an altar at a church. Faith looks like getting up before everybody else does, spending time with the Father. Faith looks like skipping a meal, not so you can lose weight, but so you can starve your flesh and feed your faith. Faith looks like talking to the stranger that looks like they're having a bad day, even though you're worried they might chew your head off, but you got something they don't know anything about. It's called the Holy Spirit. You've been given the gift of discernment. You've been given the gift of wisdom. Yeah, you're smarter than you look because the Holy Spirit lives in you and he lives through you and he wants to use you to touch the lives of those around you. That's what faith looks like. So do you want it? Three of you, cool. Do you want it? Do you want to move and operate in the power of God? Do you want your words to be his word, your heart to be his heart? Do you want to speak words of faith and encouragement to those around you who need to hear it? Do you want to see miracles, signs and wonders? Do you want to stop just reading about the move of God and actually live inside a move of God? Come on, stand to your feet if you want it.